This is an ABC podcast. Hey ladies, as a warning, this episode contains sexual references and some swearing. This is cream cheese. Mm-hmm. I'm at home with ladies producer Cass and we're trying to write an erotic story for this episode. It's a conversation between two people. Like, right. Like you and I right now. Yeah. Um, should we go over and say hi to Jeremy? Like he's looking pretty hot in his construction wear. <laughs> the thing we're learning from doing this is that getting turned on is a distinctly personal experience. How about this? I get home. It's almost erotic. <laughs> erotic. <laughs> I sniff. You look radiant. You look smart. <laughs> you look really empowered. <laughs> Oh, you're looking so empowered today. <laughs> this is good. So when do we do this? Do we do it today? Yeah, we'll just record it. I get home and drop my bags in surprise. The house has never looked so clean. It's almost erotic. I sniff. What's that smell? Oh my God, New Zealand-born Hollywood director Taika Waititi is in my kitchen and he's wearing nothing but an apron. His signature grey curly hair is in a shaggy tumble and he's muscly and thin and I like him. Hi, Taika. Hi, Yumi. Wow, baby, he says. You look radiant. How's your day been? Hey, I baked you something. Maybe you can already smell it. Why is it so clean around here, Taika? What is going on? Okay, he says, nodding. Well, I baked everything. There's the kids' dinner, he says, gesturing to the oven. But they're not coming back till much later. There's biscuits for school lunches. There's some baked potatoes for us, but not till much later. Why later, Taika, I say. We don't get to eat them till we've had sex, he says. Do you consent, Yumi? Sure, yes I do, I say enthusiastically. But please check in again anyway. He nods. You've had a long day at work, haven't you, he says, and reaches over to squeeze my shoulder right in the spot that hurts. Is that your sore spot, he says. Yes. You know exactly where to put your thumbs. You want to go to the bedroom? There's a surprise in there, says Taika. Is it baked potatoes, I say? Ha, 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 Yumi, you're so funny. No, come with me. He beckons and I follow. I can't help watching his bum (laughs) as he walks down the hallway. Oh, my God. Taika, this bedroom looks amazing. Did you buy new sheets? I love this. Is this all for me? Yeah, he says. He starts pulling off the apron. You are my queen. Come here, Taika. (laughs) So awkward. It was amazing. It's so good. Okay, so look, if baked potatoes and Taika Waititi in an apron doesn't turn you on, fair enough, whatever. What about, okay, what about 
cheese. Sexy, smelly, overripe, marbled cheese. Oh, come on. Doesn't everyone get horny over cheese? No? Okay. But seriously, low sex drive affects many women. Almost 70% of Australian women aged 40 to 65 experience low libido. 70, not 17, 70%. That's according to a 2017 study published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine. If you're trying to kickstart your horn, it can feel elusive and very much like there's nothing custom made to excite your feelings of desire that's actually for you. Sure, there is porn, but it's clearly not for everyone or us or really even me, let's be honest. There's the friendly nudge from your partner, which can get the juices flowing or not. There's music. There's lighting a candle. But... If you're not already horny, as Bruce Springsteen once said, you can't start a fire without a spark. But what if there was something that you could do that would transform your libido from a dormant sex sloth into a mad-for-it meerkat? It turns that off and switches gears, which is so hard for, I think, women in particular. We are in our head, so what reading does... It turns off your head. It turns off those 900 little voices and just allows you to have one. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about stories to make you horny. Erotica. Walk into a bookshop and you'll generally find erotic books tucked away in the romance section. The most famous romance books are Mills and Boone. You've probably heard of them because they've been around since 1908. In lots of ways, romance stories are fairy tales. Two people, usually straight, fall in love. They rub chemistry and swagger off together into the sunset. And the key to that story is that it's generally a lot of Cinderella nonsense about two people finding happily ever after. Erotica, on the other hand, is a little hotter, riskier and sweatier. It's about an individual's journey of sexual self-discovery and it doesn't necessarily end happily ever after. To get nerdy for a second, erotica falls into the romance category of books, which is the largest fiction genre in the world. It outsells everything and actually supports the entire publishing industry. The best-known example of mainstream erotica is the Fifty Shades of Grey series, which you've probably heard of unless you've been living in a sex dungeon for the last decade. And who was reading it? Women. Sure, blokes got into it too, but stats say 85% of romance readers are women. So what is it about erotica that has us so hot under the collar? school pickup, you got to get there early. And I'd be sitting there reading on my Kindle. They would knock on my window and ask me exactly what I'm reading and we, I would tell them all about it. No I way. Sit, so people would knock on oh your car Oh, my window. gosh. Totally. Sitting in my car on the back of a receipt from Target, I'd write them a list of books and in which genre and, oh, my God, there's this scene in this one and, oh, then this one and then there. And we would all openly discuss it right. with each other. Yeah. They loved it. We had like a mini book club. 
This is Sally. She's 42 with four kids and has been with her husband for 24 years. I got the tingles. I felt it. First of all, sort of start with a little bit of an increased heart rate. And I thought, oh, this is quite lovely. (laughs) Without a doubt, I was turned on. I did not expect to sit there and get the old tingles and all of a sudden feel like I was in the mood and looking for my husband and counting down the moments when he came home and we had a minute. Uh, It took me to that level and I was shocked. I, I wouldn't even get that watching porn. Sally reads erotica for pleasure every day. Before that, she says her sex life was a little bland. Things are probably a little bit repetitive. It had also slowed down a lot after having kids. What is? What do you mean by slowed down? We would probably attempt it once a month. I mean, there'd been stretches, you mean to be honest, that it might have even stretched over to sort of three, but that would be at the peak of babies crying and newborns and it probably even got more difficult to engage in any sort of intimacy after we have we have four children so after the third and fourth it became very difficult so we could have gone three months and nothing because we're both just too exhausted it wasn't for his lack of trying bless his cotton socks but I just didn't feel it it's very hard for me and I think for a lot of women to want to get intimate or to be able to turn your mind off enough to get into intimacy when you're exhausted and you don't feel sexy in any way. I started reading as a way to relax and to turn my brain off, to have some me time without me physically having to leave the house. But then it progressed. I'm a full romance junkie and that progressed into reading things that have more of erotic feel. So to a full-blown erotica. When I wanted to just read something that shut everything else out... I found reading erotica was exciting in lots of different ways. Can you talk us through it? So imagine that the people listening have never read erotic fiction. What happens to you? So you're reading a sex scene. Like how does your body react and how does your mind react? Well... With all good erotica and romance, there's always that build-up to the scene. So it actually draws you into it so that you can put yourself in that situation. With certain scenes, I found that my body reacted to them, which was extremely surprising. When it first happened, it's not something I expected at all. But I would actually, I'd find myself heating up. I'd find myself smiling, which it's sort of weird when you're reading a book, you're sitting there grinning to yourself. The thing that I found most exciting about it though, is that when you're reading erotica, you can explore all different forms of sexual situation, whether it be your normal, nice, happy, fluffy sort of sexual situation and that a lot of us have already experienced, or whether it be something completely taboo that in real life I would probably never even venture to, but I found myself with certain erotic scenes responding to them and I had absolutely no idea that that was even something I'd fantasise about. One of the things that I love a lot about erotic romance and and romance on the hotter end of the spectrum is that it provides an incredibly safe place to explore sexual fantasy that validates what you're feeling or what you're interested in is not something to be ashamed of. Then it gives you permission to go ahead and, and try out what it is that you're interested in in your life as well. That's Kate Cuthbert, Program Manager at Writers Victoria. She's worked in the publishing industry for 15 years and says erotica has changed a lot over the last decade. 
I mean, you can find dominant and submissive relationships within romance, but you can find almost as many dominant women and submissive men if you're starting to look into like erotic romance that deals with BDSM as a relationship marker. What you're really seeing, however, is more gender equality. There's more balance. Certainly, the heroes tend to be very rich. They're almost always universally handsome. But I think that plays into the fairy tale aspect of the genre as well, because <laughs> not, I don't know a lot of women who want to read about somebody who's struggling financially and, you know, maybe spends too much time at the pub. That's not, you know, that's not leaning into the fairy tale aspect of it, the fantasy aspect of it as well. But that doesn't mean that the men are dominant and the women are submissive. I think that you're actually finding characters that create a balance between them. They have strengths in different areas. So Erotica, I think we can all agree, had its moment when Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James came along in 2011. Yeah. I do want to know the perspective of the publishing industry. What did you guys make of its success? It's a fascinating story because it's an outlier. It really fell into the mainstream. People who wouldn't normally lean into that kind of literature who are picking it up for you know, curiosity's sake or for all that it plays along the line of kink, at its core, it's an incredibly conservative novel. It's very much about, you know, a man and woman getting into a relationship and the woman giving up her autonomy in order to be taken care of with the promise that he will take care of her. And those are, that's 1950s values right there. So, Particularly when you're looking at the marketplaces that drive bestsellers, like the Midwest in the US, like people who shop for books, for example, at Walmart, having those incredibly conservative values reflected back to them, but with enough of a kink to make it feel illicit, that's a really powerful combination right there because you're having your values reflected, but you still feel daring for reading it. So there's a term going around called mummy porn. Ugh, ugh. It seems derogatory. Do you think it's a bit of a sort of a dismissive way to talk about erotic literature or romance? Well, and not only that, but it, it's it's wrong. <laughs> and it is. It's. I think that's gendered. I think it's dismissive of what women find interesting, what they want to read about, what concerns them. And I think that there's this concept that if a woman is interested in it, then it can't be important. I, I read a great example of bad erotica. His eyes slid down from her face to her breasts. Oh, God. <laughs> and the way I heard it criticised was it sounds like he's got two fried eggs and they're sliding down from yeah. her face to her breasts. That's just bad editorial there. You, you know, you don't ever dismember your body parts. <laughs> Do you have any words that you just that you can't stand to see written? No, there isn't one. I even, I actually even like, can I say the word cunt? Is that yeah, a problem? I guess so. <laughs> In romance, one of the things that slides along the sensuality scale is the words that people will use to def to refer to anatomy. And you'll go from like, you know, her softness all the way up to her cunt. I actually really like the word cunt, particularly when we're talking about erotic literature and erotica, because... So many of the euphemisms for female body parts are sibilant. They're all, you know, pussy, they're soft, they're squishy words. Oh. Um, whereas a lot of the words for uh, men's anatomy, you know, they're really hard. They're dick, they're cock. There's power behind those words. 
And I really enjoy it when a writer can effectively use the word cunt because it also has that power behind it. And I feel like it creates an almost immediate equality to what is happening in the story because they're both coming from a place of power in the bedroom. Yeah, funny that Kate should mention power because Sally, the woman we met at the start of this episode who's been lovingly living with her four kids and husband for the last, like, thousand years, she says erotica has totally helped her find her sexual power. Reading erotica, the first thing I noticed it did for me, it made me feel more courageous when it came to asking for things in the bedroom. That was the first thing I noticed I instigated more, which he absolutely loved. He was very excited, all of a sudden buying me books. <laughs> the second thing I noticed is that I became a lot more sexually adventurous. So where I would normally not step outside of my comfort zone, I wanted to try new things. I wanted to experience different positions and experience different tools. I wanted to look at bringing other, not just our bodies, but bringing other things into the bedroom that might enhance our sex life, which there's no way before reading I would even know about, let alone (laughs) consider doing myself. A big thing for me in the bedroom was having a problem with confidence. With I had body issues straight after having children. I tried as a woman to, you know, I am a woman, hear me roar, get past them, be body positive. But I had body issues because my body had changed. Things were in the way that weren't in the way before when we tried a position. So I found that what reading did was actually give me the confidence to own my own body and to be happy it didn't matter that it looked different or made different sounds. I was without a doubt drawing on things that I've read or feelings that I'd felt whilst reading to give me that sort of confidence to do that. Sally, how much sex are you having now? We would regularly have sex now uh, once a week. If it was a bad week, it might be once a fortnight. So erotica changed your sex drive? Definitely, definitely. Increased it by tenfold, Yumi. Wow. Um, and I'm, I know that sounds like I'm, it's almost hard to believe, but... I mean, it didn't happen instantly. It wasn't, you know, the first book I read, I went, oh, now we're going to have sex all the time. It was an experiment. I found what I liked to read. I made a promise to myself everything was on the table. I didn't have anything that would stop me reading. There's a lot of areas of erotica that can be quite taboo. And I dived headfirst into all of them. And so I found what it was that enticed me, what titillated me, what got a physical reaction Mm. out of me. My sex drive went from being almost zero, to be honest, which I think a lot of women experience after becoming mums and even just getting older. I know that once I sort of hit my mid-30s, I started to recognise that my sex drive was slowing down, which sucked. Reading erotica has, without a doubt, driven it straight back up as much. I would probably have the sex drive that I had in my early 20s now. You're a horn dog now. Yeah, a little bit now. <laughs> I mean, let's be serious. We don't. We've got four kids, so <laughs> soccer practice and basketball games and cooking tea and homework and everything. They take priority and they always will. But now we we make time for it now. Before erotica, your sex life was fairly vanilla heterosexual stuff. Yes. Can you yep. please be a little explicit about what is now different in your sex life? Besides yes. you now instigating sex a lot more. I really like being restrained. Being submissive is not something I thought would do anything for me. It does. The idea of letting go of control. He enjoys blindfolds. 
we also enjoyed bringing toys in. So that's the sort of things that we brought into our bedroom that prior to reading Erotica, I never would have even known that I would want to experiment with. A lot of erotic literature has the reputation for being a bit outdated and sexist. New media seems to be leading the charge for people who want a bit of a woke wank. We have found that some of the stories where we are subverting those tropes do really, really well. That's Gina Gutierrez, the CEO of audio erotica company called Dipsy. Basically, it's an app-based platform where you can listen to shortish erotic stories the same way you'd listen to podcast episodes. We asked Gina what's popular. So there are reasons why things are popular and sexy, right? Like there are reason that people are attracted to things that are taboo. There's a reason the professor or student story keeps getting told. And so it's fun for us to update those and watch those stories completely take off. And so an example of that is the Casanova series, where the idea of that unattainable man who is kind of tall, dark and handsome, mysterious and unattached, right? Like we all know that that's kind of a character that historically has been very sexy in heterosexual contexts. And we were like, why don't we totally subvert that and make that the woman? And why don't we let the listener inhabit that woman's brain and get to enjoy the feeling of being so wanted and actually not really caring to emotionally attach? Can we do that? And so that was a really fun kind of spin an old idea on its head and people have really loved it. How do you portray power in a way that's feminist? I think power is feeling embodied and feeling that no matter your story or your prior insecurities or vulnerabilities or body type or you name it, that you are this person that has some sort of ability to claim its need. It's hard to say, like, I have needs. I think it's really powerful to hear when someone admits it and asks for what they want. It happens in real life, but you don't really get to hear it modeled so often. So I think it's really cool to hear power coming to fruition in different ways with different people. You don't have to be the dominatrix with the whip to be in power in a a bedroom context. You can just be really upfront about what gives you pleasure and what you'd like to do to the other person or, you know, what feels erotic to you. And our characters say those things. How did potential investors first react to the idea of marketing erotica to young women? Yeah. So we didn't use the word erotica to Mm -hmm. start. We realized that we were in a position where we needed to make people feel really safe about what they were getting themselves into. And then I think a lot of it is really showing the fact that this dominant narrative that women aren't as sexually needy or as sexual as men is largely because there isn't innovation in the space that has proven otherwise. Like That is a deeply seated cultural belief that we had to help eradicate. And so what are the facts that start to prove that that's not true? Well, look at Fifty Shades of Grey. The top one, two, and three best-selling titles in the last decade were all Fifty Shades. That's wild, right? Like that is pull in the market. That's the world looking at romantic, erotic content and saying, no, I'm, I'm hungry for it. I'm voracious for it. Gina, do you know how people use Dipsy? We generally see that around 50% of our audience is listening for the purpose of pleasure. So they're either warming themselves up to self-pleasure or they're actually touching themselves while they're listening. And then the other 50% is, is quite different where either they are 
exploring the edges of their sexuality. They are thinking about what they like and don't like. They're listening for language that they might use in their own lives. So pleasure might be a part of that experience, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And then there's a portion of that um, second half that is listening either to warm up with partners, maybe they're sharing them before dates, or they're listening to switch off their like work brain and change their mood to get them ready for some sort of partner interaction. So there's a lot of different ways to listen. You can imagine most of it happens in the bedroom, but not all of it. Do you know how I like to think of it? It's like keeping the pilot light on in your panties. <laughs> Remember Sally, who reads erotica every day, like even at school pickup? Well, she says that what she gets from erotica extends far beyond the bedroom. It's definitely brought us closer. I'm early 40s, and my husband and I have been together since I was 19 years of age. It's a really long time, but I truly believe that communication about things like sex or what we want for our future or how I'm feeling or my expectations in the relationship. All of that I have drawn in some way from reading and I've brought that into the relationship and it has helped. It's tightened up our relationship and our friendship. We seem to grow together now instead of going sort of down on a separate path and then just coming together when we need to. Cute! Okay, I'm horny now. Just joking, I'm not. But... If I turn to page 69 and if the kids could just shut up for a second. Shut up! Turn the TV off! Give me a cup of tea! <clears throat> I want to leave you with one more thing. Because if there's anything that's going to cruel my boner, it's embarrassing metaphors, lumpen language and sexist protagonists, or what's commonly known as bad writing. So here are a few erotica authors who come highly recommended. Cherise Sinclair and Selena Kitt, Eve Dangerfield and Kylie Scott, who are both Australian authors, and if you want to start with a classic, Anais Nin is a good place to start. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. If you have any feedback or thoughts on this episode, our number is 1300 641 222 or you can send us an email at ladies at abc.net.au. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de Betancourt. It's produced by Jane Curtis. Supervising producer is Cassandra Steep and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of audio studios is Kelly Reardon. Also, before you go, sisters, I need to tell you about an episode that we did do on libido from way back in season one of this show. It's called Ladies. Has anyone seen my libido? Clearly enmeshed in the crispy, buttery goodness that is a tray of warm baked potatoes, but... If you do need further advice, check out this episode. It's all about how common low libido is and how you can fix it. If you're horny already, I say, baby, you're welcome.